Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have your Bible in John 15, let's read. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. We'll close there and uh, turn to exposition of the word. Um, Actually, as Stephen said last week, it's taken a long time to get this far in the upper room discourses. We've been all year on it, and uh, I thought there was other ones it was going to do, but in a couple of weeks' time, we're doing a baptismal service, so uh, changed what it's going to speak on in that day. So this is possibly our last study in, uh, the, in the upper room with Jesus. There's just so much stuff. Missed out swears of great teaching. I, I would love uh, um, to have preached on uh, uh, John 14, 30, 31. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the rule of this world approaches. He has no power over me. That's a great uh, uh, verse. I would love to be able to, to preach on that, but uh, that's for another time. Or come, let's be going. Were, were, they, were they on the way? Uh, or did at that point, wh- why did he have another couple of chapters after that? Is it like when you go and visit somebody in their house? And uh, you say, well, I'm just going to wait to leave. And then you get involved in another conversation, and it goes on and on and on. And then eventually, an hour and a half later, you're just walking out the door. As I don't know uh, what was going on there, so there's all these kind of things. But this is a, an amazing passage. And this passage, I'll really not be able to do justice to it in the, in the 22 minutes it's, it's left this morning uh, to do that. But uh, Jesus describes three relationships with his disciples, relationships with him, with each other and with the world. And it's possible, possible to see that Jesus like envisaged a whole community of disciples and believers after his departure. And that, of course, is the church. And in terms of the relationship with him, Jesus used the analogy of the vine. And he says, I'm the true vine. Now, vines were common in Israel. There's lots of uh, vines in, in, in Israel. And uh, the the Lord promised them when they went in to Israel in Joshua 24 that they would inherit vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. And some of those who, who uh, believed that Jesus had left the upper room by this time and was walking down uh, towards Gethsemane, that they would have passed the temple and that within the temple, according to some of the old commentators, there was a huge vine that was strung from the, from the rafters. And, uh, and, and, and people would come and hang things on it, like a leaf, a berry, a bunch. And this uh, huge vine was, was made of uh, uh, pure gold. And uh, so some people believe that that might have been part of the symbolism uh, behind this. 
But the vine itself was symbolic of Israel. And in Psalm 80, in verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And I could go on in that passage, goes on to describe how, how God had brought Israel like a vine out of Egypt. And in Isaiah 5, probably the most famous passage in relation to this, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hill, hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And uh, God goes on to speak in that passage through the prophet of how they rejected the beautiful things that he'd done for them. And uh, he couldn't have done any more for them. So Jesus is the true vine, and he succeeded and overcame where Israel had failed. And every good plant needs good stock. And of course, there's no better stock than Jesus himself, the true vine. And the synopsis of this passage would be Jesus is a vine. God is a gardener who cares for the branches to make them more fruitful. The branches are all those who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus. The fruitful branches are true believers who, through their living connectedness with Jesus, produces much fruit. Those who become unproductive, who turn back from following Christ after making what some folks say is a superficial commitment, will be separated from the vine. Ouch. And unproductive believers are as good as dead and will be cut off or tossed aside. Ouch again. Double ouch. So there's quite a lot in this passage. And so the, the New Living Translation puts it like this. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. That's quite a statement. He cuts off every branch. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. It's quite a, a challenge there. And uh, Richard Sibb says, he summarizes the process that's going on here. God watches and weeds us. It's interesting watches and weeds us and continues his labor upon us till he brings us to the end of his promise. There's only one reason for keeping a vine. Its wood isn't any good. You'll not, you'll not have a hot uh, living room in the winter time by burning vine branches. The only good thing about a vine is the, is the, is the fruit that it produces, and that is the grapes. That's why you have a vine. And, and two different procedures are, are covered here, as I've alluded to, cutting and pruning. And it's a bit of an uncomfortable thought uh, for many of us that God cuts off unfruitful branches. I mean, this is the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking. It's quite a challenge. In the Old Testament, we're used to judgment and covet for covenantal unfaithfulness. In Isaiah 5, that passage that I mentioned about God eh, watching over Israel and bringing them out and clearing that vineyard, he says, Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland and neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there, and I will command the clouds and that rain on it, and so on. And so, despite all that God had done for Israel... It had neglected the other side of the, of the covenantal blessings and, and curses came in from Deuteronomy 28, and, and, and this is uh, what happened. And so, in spite of all that God had done, setting it up for success, it failed. And, and I, I believe we should not ignore warnings like this. I mean, it's far better to preach God loves you, whatever. It's far better to preach there's grace of God. This is more of a challenge. And... Uh, but there are in the Bible blessings and curses. The destruction of Jerusalem was a real-time event, and, and the temple exile was real. 
What about all the lost stuff and the long-suffering nature of God? Well, I believe God's very long-suffering, and there's a lot of love in the Bible, and I think for this to happen, it's pretty severe. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Lord would have, would have had a lot of things. He would have been dealing with the people over and over and over again. Merrill Tenney, in his commentary, cites Judas as an example of this. But I remember when I first became a Christian, and uh, I, how the book of Hebrews was really important to me um, because of what was going on in my world at that time. And uh, I remember reading passages like Hebrews 6, and they're there. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end it will be burnt. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, I like this bit how it ends, we are confident of better things in your case. So, so we've got to be real and understand that there are verses like that in the Bible and right through to Revelation where the Lord challenges people. For example, the church in Ephesus that they'd forsaken their first love. He, he challenges the churches in those days that he would remove uh, their candlestick. And so there's this cutting aspect here. And there's this pruning aspect. Vines go th- grow through the influence of the sun, the soil, and the rain. But they also grow through pruning. Fruitful branches are cut back to promote growth. Maximum yield. Dead wood is cut off because it can harbor disease. Rambling wood is unfruitful, takes all the effort, takes all the goodness out of the vine. It may look like destruction, but it is important. I was out at our roses this week, and our rose, maybe roses, with two, with two, I think. And, uh, and there, was, there was two lovely uh, roses on the top. I took them in and gave them to my wife, my own rose. And, uh, and uh, handed them uh, to her. But, but it's, it, it looks a bit of a shame to cut off a, a bloom. But yet we all know if you don't prune the roses back that you don't get the growth uh, next year. And so the vine grower wants the vine to be healthy and productive. And God allows things to happen in our life to make us more like Jesus. And nothing is wasted in the economy of God. So all that you're going through in your life that you don't like, God can use for his glory. And uh, Paul testified to that. He, he says in 2 Corinthians 1, and he goes through, and if at time I would, have, I would have read them all, but I read the passage at the beginning. But, but he speaks about all the trials that he went through. And then in 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 9, he says, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. See, there's purpose in that. So, so, so we go through stuff in life, and, and it makes us more dependent on him. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. And that's the passage where God speaks about his grace. So there's stuff going on in Paul's life that he wants rid of, but God said, I'm going to give you grace to go through it, which is also another side to that. So we need to be praying when things don't work out. Lord, do you have something to teach me in this situation? Elizabeth Elliot, 
Remember the, through gates of splendor, everything if given to God can become your gateway to joy. Interesting. Great quote. And she's been through stuff. Her husband murdered. So, so she's coming out of that kind of experience. Peter wrote about it in, in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 8. And I'm giving you these scriptures so that you can uh, look them up on your own. But he, but he speaks about, about the trials that we go through. And he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that. So there's purpose in it. Have you seen that? Th- these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are going through. And so James wrote about it. James 1, 2 to 5. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So this pruning and the stuff that we go through in our life, there's purpose in our pain. Our test can become our testimony. We've heard that from the, the story from Pam this morning. And David Jeremiah tells a story of Frederick Tatford. He wrote some hymns. He was a prolific 20th century pastor, and he was a writer. He was born in 1901 and ministered among the Plymouth Brethren. And uh, his pastoral heart was very tender towards those who faced troubles in life. And he wrote, The shadows of life have their purposes as well as the bright sunlight, and the dark hours of sorrow bring their own rich satisfaction. And the one who has passed through trouble is equipped by his own experience to sympathize with others who pass that way. And, of course, Jesus did that. So what's he saying? He says the dark experiences of life, the difficult experiences that we go through in life, God can use them to speak to us to help us to help other people. And that's one aspect of it. He uses difficulties to develop us into his disciples. God's more into process than instant. That's, that's, that's what he's like. He's, it's not microwave Christianity. It's, it's more like slow cooker uh, Christianity. And this is the experience of the saints down through the centuries. And John Maxwell at LEAD, at our leadership school, at NB can come to in March, he says Christians pray for good times because they're lazy. I, I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting statement. But I would, I would say we, 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 do, we do like an easy life. Nobody likes problems. Nobody likes challenges. Nobody likes difficulties. But Bishop Westcott says... Everything is removed from the branch which tends to divert the vital power from the production of that fruit. So God works in all these painful processes. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India for over 50 years, reflecting on this passage says, What prodigal waste it appears to be to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred pieces from the sharp knife. But with a tried and tested husbandman, there is not a random stroke in it at all. Nothing cut away, which it would not have been a loss to keep it and again to lose. So there's purpose in what we go through, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, verse 2 to 3, so that they will produce even more fruit, even more fruit. From creation in Genesis, it, it, we, were, we were called to be fruitful and to multiply. Mankind was made to be fruitful. God built fruitfulness into creation. You know, I, I, somebody's walk up Alawa Road, and there's a house there, and I don't know if anybody lives in it, 
But a garden looks as if there might be tigers and lions and bears and stuff like that in it. It's a, the, the, the grass is, is up to the windows. It's huge. And, and, and weeds grow. They're fruitful. Have you noticed that? You don't have to plant them. And you think you take them out and a fortnight later your garden's full of them again. That, that fruitfulness is there. That God's plan is not for failure. It is for fruit. And the potential is amazing. You know, the potential that God has for you and I is amazing. He says that the parable of the sower can produce 30, 60, or 100 times. That's am- the, the, the principle of fruitfulness in you and me is, is mind-blowing, what God can do with you and me, with any vessel that's, that's uh, prepared to let him have his way. The grapevine is a prolific plant. A single vine bears many grapes. So what does God use? Well, he uses trials. He uses problems. He uses pressures. He uses people. Oh, a major frustration. Financial setbacks, sickness, relationships, breakdowns in marriage with rebellious children, even bereavement. He can use work in all of these things. And I'm not saying he causes all of these things, but he can work in all of these things. The UCB in February the 12th says, he teaches you to love by putting you around difficult people. He teaches you patience by letting things frustrate you. You know, don't don't pray for patience. Because tribulation works patience. So don't pray for patience. Ask God to help you in this situation. That's a far better prayer. He uses his Bible. You've already been pruned for greater fruitfulness by the message I have given you, puts one translation. The Bible condemns sin, inspires holiness, and promotes growth. Did you know that some gardeners talk to their plants? The UCB on the 11th of February, I've been collecting stuff for this message. Imagine yourself saying, you're such a good plant. My, my, you really are looking fine today. I'm so proud of you. Now picture yourself talking to a plant, you're pruning and saying, this pains me more than it pains you. Whack. You will thank me for this afterwards. Whack. It's for your own good. Whack. No picture of the plant talking back. You don't have a heart. You hate me. I've worked long and hard to make those roses you just cut off. Isn't that what we say to God while he prunes us? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Don't you see what's going on in my life right now? We think God is mad at us. No, he's not mad. One of the major mistakes we make is confusing pruning with punishment. So God works. Have you lost a job? A relationship you loved. God may have something better in mind. Can you trust him? Do you believe he's at work in your life? God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Philippians 1 and 6. So it's clear that God's looking for an ROI. Return on investment. You can see that in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. That one day we'll have to give an account of what we did with what he gave us. And the importance of staying connected to him to be able to do that is mentioned here. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So, so our mandate is to remain in him. It means intimacy with him. It, Charles Stanley says, our intimacy with God, his highest priority for our lives, determines the impact of our lives. So our intimacy... It determines our impact. I like that. 
So, so, so the more that we are in him, the better it is. You and me and I and you. If I was to say to you, what's the most common New Testament word or description to describe a Christ follower? I don't know what you would say. I mean, some people might say Christian. It's mentioned three times in the Bible. You might say saints. You might say disciples. But the answer would be in Christ. That, that is the phrase that's used to describe a follower of Jesus in Christ. It's used, or in him, it's used over 200 times. So how do we develop that close relationship with him so that we don't have to go through so much pruning, so that we don't, have to, that we don't become separated from him, that, that become useless in our life? How do we develop that? Well, first of all, we've got to get saved, and Jesus has got to come into our life and let the Holy Spirit do a work in our life. And then engaging with the Bible, prayer, study, fellowship, obedience, uh, trust, all the, uh, trust all of these to play their part. And, and uh, the, 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 the fruitfulness in the frontline studies that we've been doing in, in our life group, Mark Green, who, who did that, I went to hear him in Edinburgh this week, was invited along to a meeting on Wednesday, and, and he was fantastic. And he says, the people who did that in their fellowship and the people who have done that and sent responses back have increased in every one of these aspects by 30% by studying. He, he says, by, by studying this stuff. So, so ne- never put down what we can study in our life groups and stuff like that. The life application Bible says, believing, receiving, doing, continuing, and relating. And if you've got one of them, look it up. If not, I can give you more information later. But Sinclair Ferguson says it means to live with a sense that the Son of God loves us and gave himself for us, that he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit, and that we know that our life is his and no longer our. So we need to remain, we need to abide, we need to stay close, just as a vine branch needs to be in the vine. And this morning, you and I know whether we're close or whether we're separated. I want to be closer. I hope you do. Stories told of a of an old pastor going to visit somebody who hadn't been along to, to, <coughs> to the church for a long time. And uh, they sat in, in, beside the coal fire, and uh, one sat at one end and one sat at the other. And uh, the pastor took a coal, it was in the fire, and he took it out, and he put it on the side of the hearth, and he just watched. And they watched, and they watched as the fire that was burning got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer till it was just a smoldering thing. He says, I'll see you in church on Sunday, pastor. He understood. And as we read through this passage, imagine being there with the upper loom of Jesus as he spoke the words. We'll clearly see this connectedness is mentioned over and over again. Those who remain in me, apart from me you can do nothing. Does not remain in me is thrown away, withers. But if you remain in me and my words remain, it's over and over and over again. As I say, this passage would need weeks to go through properly. But it's true that a life lived to please God cannot be done in our own strength. We need to abide in him. God who made us knows that better than we know ourselves. The one who made the world made us, and he knows what we're capable of. He knows we're incapable of living a life that pleases him, so he dwells us and he gives us stuff to help us to live that life. Because he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Zilch. We will never be able to do things that glorify him and extend his kingdom in our own strength. Because they'll become tainted with pride and all kinds of stuff. It's him. You see, it says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the laborers is wasted. And so, whatever we're building, a house, a life, relationships, families, marriages, organizations, cities, or societies, did you know that the motto of Edinburgh is 
Nisi Dominus Fustra. It's from that Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house. I wish Edinburgh applied that, and it's there today. Solomon, who wrote a lot of wise things, screwed up. He messed up. Couldn't keep his sex drive under control. Big problem in his life. He didn't remain faithful to God, particularly in in relation to his relationships. We need him. We need him. Charles Stanley again, you aren't supposed to live the Christian life. It's impossible. Rather, you must let Christ live it through you. And that's a joy of abundant life. We live for him. We don't live for ourselves. It's not my diary, it's his diary. It's not my car, it's his car. It's not my home, it's his home. It's, we are, it's, it's his, we are abiding in him. It's not my time, it's his time. It's not my life, it's his life. And, and as we let him live his life through us, then, then we come into that abundance, life that he promises. us. Fruitfulness is very important in this passage. We've got fruit, even more fruit, much fruit, and fruit will, that will remain. You see, I grew up with a philosophy, and the band can come now. I grew up with a philosophy that faithfulness is, was important, and it is. And I would never, never under, undervalue uh, faithfulness. But fruitfulness is also important. It, it, it's clear that God wants us to produce much fruit. An old pastor friend of mine used to say, that which is healthy and fed will grow. So what kind of fruit would we expect in the Christian life? Winning others to Jesus. Answered prayer. Joy. Love. There's a lot of love in this one here. And if we saw other people, rather than thinking, oh no, here they come again. But if, if that's a... How, here is someone for whom Jesus died. It changes everything. The, the, the Lord of glory dwells inside that person. And we understood each other how beautiful that would be. The fruit of the Spirit. Peter writes about, about an ongoing progression in a life. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, faithfulness. And, and so he goes on. And, and so he's looking for this fruit and handling things. I like what Sinclair Ferguson says, that the Christian life is hidden with God. Resources are available to cope with anything. He thus knows how to handle wealth or poverty and exaltation or humiliation because he's in Christ. Consequently, his life makes an impact on others, bears fruit and in its influence on in them, and points them to the Lord. So fruitfulness could be a whole lot of things. There's one thing for sure, fruitfulness brings glory to God, and I want to do that, and I pray that we will. So that's a little rush through John 15 and that. I I like what the message says. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. That's, That's a wonderful promise. And so there are huge challenges in this passage, but there are tremendous promises in this passage. God wants us to be fruitful. And Jesus thought that was important enough to speak about that at the end of of, uh, his ministry life there. So important. And so two questions this morning. Are we found in him? Are we in him? Is that where we're at? Are we abiding in him? Is he living his life through us this morning? Are we in him? Are we saved this morning? Do we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior? And are we letting him live his life through us? bearing the fruit, living his life through us. Lots of things on an ongoing basis that we might not want to do. 
But the question is not whether I want to do it, but whether He wants us to do it. That's it's 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 that giving of ourselves. It's that being implanted in Him, letting Him live His life. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.